Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we are in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm at the home of Brian Rimza, and I can't start this podcast out without mentioning what happened over the weekend. It seems like every podcast I do with Rimza, it's me starting out saying how the Sun Devils just absolutely pummeled the Wildcats in some sport, one, you know, whether it be football or basketball. What do you think of the big game we just had? You guys beat us. You played well. I think that's a sweep for the regular season basketball. That hasn't happened probably in forever. I don't think it has. It's crazy. Today we're going to talk about bear hunting. Yep. I want to talk about, we're obviously hitting here at the beginning of March. I want to talk about spring bear and I want to talk about fall bear. And I believe you've harvested, what, five or six bears yourself? Yeah, I've harvested five. And so I feel like you're a good person to chat about that. I get a lot of response and people wanting to hear about bears. And so I thought, oh, Rims is a perfect guy for that. Before we get to that, you are also uh, the chairman, I believe, of the Bow Hunting in Arizona record book. That's correct. That is a committee as well as an organization? Yes. So is it tied in with the bow hunters of uh, bow hunters in Arizona? Is it the Bow Hunter Association or how does that work? So there's the Bow Hunting in Arizona record book, which is us, and then there's the Arizona Bow Hunters Association. We partner to do uh, banquets together. Um, our banquet is actually this Saturday, March 16th, up at uh, Game and Fish. If you haven't if you have any desire to come, uh, go online and buy some tickets at uh, the ABA's website. And um, basically, we handle the record book aspect of things, recording all the big game animals harvested with a bow in the state, whereas the ABA uh, works for uh, bow hunters, kind of working with commissioners and lobbying for things that are important to bow hunters okay. as an organization. This book that I'm looking at, um, Brian's given me a copy of the new bow, hunter, bow hunting in Arizona uh, record book. It's the sixth edition, 2018. Um, this book's been around for a long time. I love the cover; it's beautiful, and the content. It looks like it's it it's it's an incredible record book because you look here. I'm just just thumb through here. Antelope. Uh, it gives the, the unit taken, the date taken, the time of day, style of hunting. You know, here's stock, uh, here's still hunting, blind hunting, uh, tree stand. Then it has the shot distance, and then where the animals hit, you know, shoulder, liver, heart, paunch, lungs, neck, etc. Uh, femoral, I mean, there's all sorts of listings, which I think is pretty cool to be able to know how some of these animals are hit. And then your bow weight, I assume that's the draw weight. Correct. And then type of broadhead, number of blades, and then it shows the rank. Um, as well as there's some articles that are pretty cool. There's bow hunting and social media. Um, I believe Cindy Richardson did one on I'm a female bow hunter. I actually wrote an article, Tips to Field Judging Elk. There's 12 glassing secrets. Uh there's stalking mule deer. That's by Randy Olmer. Right. Uh, why don't you talk about some of the people that wrote here and the articles? I assume you kind of helped try and gather all of this stuff. Correct. So we print a record book every eight years. Um, 
and the goal is to obviously update all the animals that have been harvested and to put relevant information in the record book so it's more than just looking at numbers and so we've been blessed to have some really prominent bow hunters and prominent hunting figures in the state of Arizona that are willing to contribute to the organization by writing articles uh, you for example on how to field judge elk you know the goal of this record book is to also you know to show you some of the animals that have been harvested but also to provide that newer hunter or someone looking to get into hunting some uh, value value rather than just looking at a simple number of an animal that was harvested and so you know we try to pick and focus on topics that we feel are important to today's bow hunter and try to make it relevant uh, Russ Richardson wrote an article on bow hunt, or hunting and social media, bow hunting and social media, because I think we can all appreciate the fact that social media has really uh, stepped up its impact on hunting worldwide. Uh, whether your opinion is that it's good or bad or indifferent, uh, Russ wrote a really solid piece, and Russ is a solid guy. You know, the Richardson family's been a big time contributor to bow hunting in Arizona for a long time and to just bow hunting throughout the world. Uh, Cindy talks about being a successful female bow hunter. And the impacts of that. And then everybody knows Randy Ulmer talking about his uh, uh, stalking mule deer techniques and things of that nature. I mean, the goal here is to, to provide valuable knowledge and valuable information and to everyone out there. Uh, Dwayne Adams wrote us an article on the 12 glassing secrets. Uh, Dwayne's a pretty prominent glasser, very successful coos deer hunter as well as mule deer hunter and several other animals out there. So, you know, for... 20 bucks or 25 bucks you can purchase this book online at bowhuntinginarizona.com and it provides a ton of relevant information and you know we do show unit numbers and things of that nature to kind of give you an idea of where you know animals are the bigger animals are being harvested uh, jim heffelfinger wrote an article about uh hybrids and things of that nature which is pretty interesting topic <coughs> excuse me interesting topic these days because, you know, there's a lot of talk about crossbreeding between mule deer and uh, whitetail. And he talks about how to identify one or the other and things of that nature. And we have some examples, uh, photos and examples in here. As well as one of the original articles uh, from Al Henderson from the second edition book talking about where it all started. So, you know, I think the book really is a good resource as well as a record book for bow hunters And, you know, anyone out there for that matter. Um, each of the largest animals that were harvested in the last eight-year period, those individuals were given the opportunity to write articles. So you can read the article about some of the bigger animals that have been harvested in the state over the last eight years. Now, granted, um, we try to encompass all the animals that have been harvested in the state, but if some people don't enter animals in record books, so we obviously cannot incorporate those into the record book and uh, if they haven't entered them. But it really gives you a good look at kind of Arizona bow hunting and the records and the original book was back in 1975 and you know so there's a lot of great records in here talks about some of the animals that have been harvested how to identify trophy animals and give you some different methods of hunt and what time of day people are most successful and distance of shots and things of that nature I love so, how you've broke it down too into charts as well um, like looking here at the style of hunt looking here at the distance of shot you've you know, if you look at the distance of shot on black bear, you know, there's 32% between 20 and 29 yards, uh, between zero and 19 is 30%, you know, 40 to 49 is 9%. So it's, it's kind of interesting as you look through at these different, through these different charts, 
how how that it brings relevancy to your hunt and people that are going hunting they're like oh okay so you know 32 percent of bears that are shot are shot at 20 to 29 yards you know that brings value um and then if we click over here to the elk or the mule deer pronghorn antelope it's the same thing um i've seen your name in here a few times as well um with some of the different animals i'm looking here at your big giant mule deer that you shot up on the arizona strip it's mounted here in the corner in just a giant deer the mass is one of those things in the photo you can't really see um and uh, it's just an incredible deer i know i had you on the podcast to talk about that but back to this book twenty dollars uh bow hunting in arizona is there anything else in regards to this book that you think people need to know uh the book's 25 dollars online just um you know i just think it's a it's a great opportunity if you're if you like to collect specific editions too you can you can we have collector's editions that are numbered and if you have any questions, you know, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, my email is brian.rimza at hotmail.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, help you out the best you can. If you have any issues uh, trying to get a book ordered, you can email me there. And, uh, again, we're going to have some great animals at the uh, banquet this Saturday, March 16th, up at Game and Fish. There still are tickets available. Um, those tickets are being sold by the Arizona Bow Hunters Association, and uh, you can go on their website and purchase those tickets. I believe they're $65. So it's not unreasonable, and we have some incredible raffle items. So, I mean, you have a chance to win a bow and things of that na- nature. So if you're looking to buy those tickets, it's www.archerybowhunters.com, and it's our 2019 ABA and BIA banquet. We will be selling the auction black bear tag and the auction buffalo tag and the auction javelina tag. So um, get out there. It's a great time. A lot of good people. Uh, good chance to network with some pretty good bow hunters out there and get some information awesome buddy thanks for doing that and um great job i know it takes a lot of work and a lot of man hours to put something like this together so as we move forward here wanting to talk about bears out of the bears that you've shot how many of them have been with a bow and how many with a rifle i've killed one bear in the spring with a bow and then uh the all the other bears i've killed have been with the rifle okay so let's let's break down the spring bear hunting in arizona um talk about how the tags are acquired uh and kind of the season structure and what have you i'll let you kind of run with that yeah so the spring bear hunts um obviously you apply for some from the you apply for those permitted tags in with the spring draw so it's usually in october is when the draw deadline is and so there's a few hunts that require ap- you to apply for the rifle hunt pretty limited numbers and then there's several units that have what are called non-permit tags which are over the counter that you can purchase those tags those the hunts all start for the rifle hunt march 22nd and basically go to may 2nd a couple of them go to july 31st and then uh, the archery spring bear hunts the majority of those archery hunts are going to be draw tags um, that you can apply for i the bear that i shot in the spring was I killed in 35A on a draw tag several years ago. I think it was back in 2009, I think it was, that I shot that bear. And um, those hunts start May 3rd and go to July 31st. Those hunts are a little longer. And one of the predominant ways to be successful on those hunts is to sit water uh, in those summer months. It's pretty brutal and hot out there. But you're also dealing with uh, some of the bear rut. Um, That rut seems to take place kind of the mid- 
middle of May to the middle of June, and it can, you know, go a little longer or be a little shorter depending on the circumstances. I shot my bear on May 31st, and he was pushing a sow up the bottom of a canyon. I was able to cut him off and uh, made a good shot on him and killed him down there in 35A. So uh, those are kind of your, your spring options. I mean, my opinion on spring is that it's much more difficult to find bears in the spring. Uh, they tend to be kind of hanging in the bottoms of the canyons. They're not readily available out on the hillsides feeding as much. Uh, it's totally doable, but it's just not the easiest uh, thing to make happen. The fall bear hunts I've, are generally the places where if you're a new bear hunter looking to be successful on the first time and trying to figure out bears, the fall is generally that hunt that tends to lend itself to higher success rates because those bears are out feeding more and they're up on the ridge sides you know eating freaking prickly pears or in the in the oak thickets and things of that nature so um, springtime calling can be very effective too because those bears seem to travel bears all seem to travel in the bottom of the canyons so the nastiest places you can find that's where those bears seem to be at so <clears throat> brian with this spring hunt coming up here we are recording this around kind of the beginning of march and this bear hunt's going to start here and the 22nd you say uh are most bears in your opinion or what you know of are most bears already out of hibernation talk a little bit about what you know about bears hibernating and with people with have tags here in a couple weeks are there certain units that you would think that maybe the bears won't be out uh and and you know as the dates go on and later in the hunt or if you have a spring hunt and you know, you're trying to figure out what your timing is, you know, would you, if you had to tag this spring, would you be looking at later in the season? Talk, talk about that whole dynamic. I definitely think this year you're going to see the bears out later because we've had such a strong moisture year and we still have quite a bit of snow up in the northern units and eastern parts of the state. Uh, you and I have hunted the White Mountain Apache numerous times for turkeys over the last five years. And you know, on years like this, this year, we rarely see bears and there's a ton of bears up there moving around. But on the years where we have limited to no moisture and it's warmer, we tend to see a lot more bears. I actually killed a bear with you up there on the White Mountain Apache, um, working across an oak, oak hillside. And literally right after I shot that bear we and we loaded it up, you almost killed a bear. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say this year, you're going to see bears moving around much later than, uh, than normal. But remember, some of these units that are open are down in the southern part of the state, which those bears could come out earlier because the weather's going to heat up faster. They're going to have less snowpack and things like that. Hibernation is kind of a weird thing in Arizona, and I'm by no means an expert. A couple years ago, I got a bear on camera December 8th, and most people will tell you that doesn't usually happen. But with social media today, you're seeing guys on December coos hunts who are posting pictures of bears. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's just kind of dependent on the weather. But this year, if I had a tag anywhere in the higher elevations, I probably wouldn't even spend much time until later on in the season. Yeah, for sure. And then if you're down, you know, Tucson or, or, or more south southern than that, um, like you said, if you know, some of those bears that could potentially be hibernating in some of that country where there's, you know, it's warmed up already and it's, you know, it's <coughs> not very forested or, or wooded, they could be out. Right. Um, but you would say, especially on a year like this, where we've got a lot of moisture and, 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 you know, good moisture conditions that very feasibly that, you know, the last two weeks of the hunt is certainly going to be better than the first two weeks or the first month. 
Right, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a whole lot of bears kill on, on this particular spring hunt just because of the amount of moisture and stuff that we've had. Well, and don't you think, too, that a lot of people are fired up to get out there, so they take a week or a weekend, and they go out there, and like, I didn't see anything, when in reality, they just shouldn't even probably get going till probably the last two weeks of April. Yeah, I mean, that's when it's going to get better. I mean, and even into May is when it's going to get better, but I mean, those rifle hunts are pretty limited dates. I mean, they cut you off on May 2nd, which is before things even really get going. There's a few units that you're open till July 31st, and those are the ones that, you know, you're going to see some guys kill some bears in for sure historically as far as units for bear what are some of the units that jump out at you as a hunter that you know either numbers of bears or size of bears are there any you know obviously we could look right here in the record book um but in general are are any units that kind of jump out at you as typically are better bear units man it's just for talking sheer numbers uh, every year there's a lot of bears harvested in 23 a lot of bears harvested in 27 uh 24 can they can kill a lot of bears in that unit too so i mean those are as far as sheer numbers without actually having them in my hand i mean off the top of my head 23 27 um 24 those units really really tend to produce a lot of bears 23 if the pear crop is right because there's the way the hunt structure there's three hunts for so they take a lot of bears in 23 and Nicole, my wife actually killed a bear in 23 last year. Um, if the pear crop is right in 23 in the fall, they will kill a lot of bears. And this year they there was no exception because the pears were on fire and people were just killing bears everywhere. I heard you mention talking about, um, boars chasing sows and, you know, the bear rut, so to speak. Talk a little bit about that from a strategy standpoint. If, if you knew that the rut was imminent and you had one of these units where it was, you know, that went till July and you were able to hunt in that, you know, mid-May, you know, into June stuff, how would you strategically try and find those bears that are quote-unquote rutting? Would you be glassing? Would you be sitting? Would you be in high probability areas? Like what's your, what's your thought on that? I mean, my belief in the springtime that glassing is not nearly as effective as it is in the fall time. So I don't know that I would spend a whole lot of time glassing. What I would spend a lot of time doing is working up the bottoms of the biggest, nastiest canyons you can find. Because that seems to be where those bears really, really like to hang out and travel. And typically there's plenty of, of water and feed not too far out of those bottoms of those canyons. Uh, the big bear that I killed um, in the spring was pushing a sow right up a trail, right up the bottom of the canyon. And I mean, he was totally focused on that sow and i was able to sneak into 25 yards and make a good shot on him so as you're working up these bottoms that you're talking about these thick rocky draws and you know thick bottoms are you is it kind of you know still hunting are you kind of walking doing a little bit of glassing moving a little bit glassing out in front of you a little bit more are you listening for certain things like talk about kind of what your thought plan would be your strategy would be well, I mean, I want to be in an area where I've seen bear sign, whether it be tracks or scat. You know, I need to be seeing some bear sign and then work in those canyons. Because if you're seeing bear sign, then you know those bears are there. Um, and I, it's more or less still hunting. And then if you're trying uh, to be to bring the bear to you successfully, calling can be very, very effective. Um, I would say probably one of the most successful techniques of killing bears in the spring is going to be sitting water especially on those hunts that go to July 31st. And would you sit, I mean, all day? 
or are there are there periods of time like only during the day or would you be there at first light or what would be your strategy and what have you what have you seen with your show cameras as far as i would sit all day i mean those bears are are just roaming around and you got to be there when they're there i mean yeah you're going to have more action where they show up early in the morning or they show up late in the evening more often it'll be late in the evening as opposed to early in the morning um but it's not always that case but if if you're getting in there those bears have a really good sense of smell so you really need to just get in there but if I had a choice and I could only sit part of the day, I would sit the evening. Okay. Sorry about the puppies in the background. We got a f- full litter of eight lab puppies that are running around, so it's kind of crazy. When you talk about tracks that you see or scat that you see, um, for those out there listening that this might be their first bear hunt, like what specifically are you looking for if you were to target tracks, if you were to target areas of scat? Like specifically, are you looking on roads are you are you specifically going around water tanks like where are you looking for these tracks what are you trying to find and you know obviously a bear track explain a bear track to someone that you know maybe doesn't even know what a bear track looks like yeah i mean a lot of times you're looking for uh, tracks around water if it's dry can definitely be super super helpful i mean because if you know if, if it's dry and it's hot and the bears are hitting water that that'll give you an idea of what you know is there and they're easier to find in the mud you know what i mean they're much easier to see in the mud than if a bear's walking down um a road but a couple years ago you and i went and hunted um ghouls turkey down in southern arizona and you know we were working roads looking for turkey tracks and looking for drag marks and things of that nature and you know we right down the middle of the road and the powder of the road is a freaking black bear track you know early spring bear walking down the road and i mean uh bear tracks pretty easy to decipher i mean a lot of guys don't get them mixed up with like coyotes you know a lot of guys will mix up a coyote track with a lion track and things like that but a bear track's really pretty easy to figure out i mean you've got five toes and the front pad is kind of a elongated pad meaning that it's 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 long it's wider than it is longer whereas the back pad looks like a human foot right i mean it looks just like a human foot pretty much Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger version of a human foot but i mean bear tracks are pretty easy to 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 decipher you know it's not like trying to figure out a lion track over a coyote track i mean that takes a little bit of uh, expertise to figure that out so to say so let's say you you go to a water tank and you don't see any tracks in the mud but in the dust like just kind of in the dirt you see a track and you can make out like you can make the pad out. You can make the toes out. Would you say that that's probably a pretty fresh track? I mean, it all depends on if it's been raining or not and uh, what the weather's been like. But, I mean, if you can see a bear track in the dusk, I'm going to assume that it hasn't been raining much. And I'm going to assume that that's fairly uh, new track. And so, I mean, that's going to be something that will pique my interest for sure. And then as far as scat, um, do you have any kind of tips as far as being able to tell, obviously, if scat's newer or fresher or if it's older? I mean, just just like anything else. I mean, if it looks wet, and, you know, and it's, you know, not all crusted over when you kick it, it's still moist and things like that. Um, that gives you an idea. I think the, the biggest thing about scat is, for me, in the fall hunts, if that'll give me an idea of what the bears are eating. So if, if bears are eating prickly pear berries, their scat is like, purple Mm -hmm. and i mean and it's really obvious so if that's the case then you need to look around you and figure out okay where are the prickly pears ripe because that's where those bears are going to be 
um, if they're eating acorns and stuff like that, then you need to you need to be in the acorn thickets and figure out where where all these acorns are going because fall hunts are basically two food sources or three food sources for the most part. You're dealing with prickly pears, you're dealing with uh, acorns, the oaks, and a lot of times it's the scrub oaks, not necessarily like the oak trees. And then you're dealing with uh, manzanita berries. And sometimes you'll get juniper berries in there too. Um, but I mean, those are your food sources that you're looking for. So when you look at the bear scat, you see a bear scat. Okay, what's in there? Is it manzanita berries? Are we talking about, you know, acorns or are we talking about prickly pears? I mean, the benefit to that fall hunt is that those bears are so visible. So glass for miles. Normally, if you're glassing a koozie, you're probably not going to glass much more than a couple miles away because they're hard as heck to see. But if you're glassing for bears, you should be glassing three four miles away and if well, you f- everything close and everything far. yeah In not just words, get up where you can see a lot of country right right because once you find that bear you can usually figure out a way to get over on him you may not get on him that morning but you'll probably be able to get on him that evening or the next morning knowing where he's at because those bears oftentimes will frequent the same hillside especially in the fall time because they're coming to a particular food source so you don't have to worry about running over there and trying to get there right then um, usually if you can get in position for the afternoon, that bear may come out in the same spot. And we've killed several bears that way because typically those bears are not on their feet that long in the fall hunts because it's hot. The other thing that's really beneficial in the fall, if you can get an overcast day or a day, say it rained all night and it's overcast in the morning, you want to be out because those bears are going to enjoy that cooler weather and, and, and really give you a chance to figure out what's going on a couple years ago i took a friend of mine from tucson into 23 and we got a a light rainstorm in the afternoon while we were sitting on the hill and instantly spotted a a really good bear eating scrub oaks and we're able to get over there and kill him um so those cooler days really help you out on those those hot hunts because those bears stay on their feet longer let's talk about uh shot placement for a minute on from a archery standpoint as well as from a rifle standpoint if your shot placement um, changes between those two and where you want to shoot bears and talk about it from a broadside front on I mean go through all the different angles I mean bears have a lot of hide to them and a lot of hair to them I mean they're not I wouldn't say it's a difficult hide to get through by any means Um, but what I will say is it looks like a black blob whereas if you're looking at a deer or an elk you kind of got some more definition as to figure out where to shoot and typically for an archery shot on a bear that's broadside you know almost mid-body is what you want it really it's not you don't have to hug the shoulder you almost want to shoot what's what would appear to you as being mid-body and make sure you know don't try and heart shoot them in the low 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 bottom part of the chest because sometimes it's hard to define where the hair ends and where the body starts and you might lend yourself to shooting low um with and i'll just talk about bow bow shots i mean I don't know that I would shoot a bear in a frontal position with a bow unless I was absolutely confident. It's not a shot I would look to do, but sometimes those bears, you can get on their paths and they're just coming at you and you got to make a decision. And I mean, you're really looking to suck something in right under the, the chin or something like that to run up in that body. I would not, I really wouldn't tell anyone to take that shot, but I mean, some people are going to do that. So, I mean, you have to make a decision on what you want to do really not something that i would look to do and sometimes you have your face with weird shot opportunities when it comes to calling bears in too because when you're calling them in they're coming toward you 
And if you're calling by yourself, then you may have a frontal shot option that you have to decide what you want to do. And then quartering away shots, you know, try to aim for that offside leg. Remember, there's not much to the bear there. So, I mean, you really have to shoot the bear a little farther back, closer to that back hip on the on your close side so that the arrow angles up into the chest. Just remember, you're not – your point of impact is not the same. So, you really got to envision where the arrow is going through the body. With a rifle, I mean – Today's rifle and uh, today's rifles, I think, is probably one of the reasons where a lot more bears get killed during the fall hunt because those bears are out in those prickly pear flats and guys are shooting bears at 600 to 1,000 yards all day long because it's a big black blob on a green hillside. And when they get on a fresh pear, they are going to just sit there and eat those pears. Yeah, and I mean, they literally sit there on their butt and just sit there and eat, move over to another patch and just sit there and eat and eat and eat, and they're there for hours. Right. And, I mean, bears, are, bears can take some lead, so, I mean, a thirty caliber style rifle is probably what you want but i mean i know a lot of guys right now are killing bears with six five creedmoors and you know it is to each his own i mean i i like the 30 caliber 300 winchester short mag or 300 rum or something like that but more importantly just something that you know shoots well and you can place the bullet where you want to place it um if you can shoot them you know if you've got enough oomph and you're shooting them at a distance you can shoot them in the high shoulder and they'll go down but i mean i always tell everyone hey shoot try and shoot them in the, in the chest that's what we're always trying to do Bears are pretty tough. Every once in a while you hear guys shooting a bear head on with a rifle and the bullet just grazing off the skull and the bear just gone. So, I mean, you, you really got to make good choices on what you're going to do as far as shot placement. And uh, especially if you're shooting things long range. I mean, in today's world, everyone's shooting stuff at a thousand yards. And the last thing you want to do is have to be trailing a wounded bear and through some thick bottom. Cause that, that could get a little sketchy depending on the circumstances. You had mentioned uh, a second ago about calling and just curious if you personally have called bears and had any success and or have you talked with guys and are there certain sounds that you've heard that work better or that you've used and work better than others? So I'm not the expert on calling bears. I have called bears in myself. Uh, I've never called a bear in that was big enough to shoot by myself. Um, but guys, uh, I have some friends that are very successful at it, you know, get into the deepest gnarliest canyons and start calling and those barrels will come up the bottom of the canyon and really they're fairly noisy at times uh whether it be you can hear them breathing because they're laboring hard if it's in the fall time or they're just turning rocks and things like that over um it's it has it can be very successful to glass a bear way out there and if you're bow hunting like on some of those spring bow hunts you can hit the call and those sometimes those bears will turn and just come what i do know about bears is they lose interest quick so you got to call for 45 minutes at a time and continually be on the call it's not simply just blowing the call for a couple minutes stopping for a couple minutes blowing the call you need to continuously be on the call all the time because they will lose interest very quickly and this is a distress type yeah. call yeah right. jackrabbit distress fawn distress uh whitetail fawn distress different types of distress calls can work very very well uh matt cullip and chip Biner from tucson killed a ton of bears calling bears in i mean they those guys those guys are deadly when it comes to killing bears especially in southern arizona and they just they work those bottoms and get into some of the country that most people would never get into brian i want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast i want to thank gohunt.com the optics authority my friend cody nelson i call him the glassing guru uh, if you have any optical needs at all, you can reach out to him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. 
You can also email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. Cody has promised me that he'll take care of the Go Hunt uh, listeners, or excuse me, the J. Scott Outdoors listeners. Uh, and you can also um, tell him that if he doesn't, I'm going to smack him around. So make sure you tell, tell him that, and he'll enjoy hearing that. Uh, I also want to thank Go Hunt Insider. In my opinion, they're the best draw odds and harvest statistics out there. And you can go to gohunt.com forward slash J. Scott, and you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt gift card. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K U I U.com. Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, that is the gear and clothing that I wear on uh, all of my hunts. I know, Brian, you wear a lot of Kuyu. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank CanyonCoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the J. Scott 19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. That's the the digiscoping um, device that I use for all my videos and photos that you see on Instagram. Phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott 19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com, uh, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount there at onxmaps.com. Brian, you have talked about uh, fall bear hunting. And I think if I ask you, you would prefer to hunt bears in the fall. One of the things about bears in the fall is that coincides with that, you know, them eating the prickly pear a lot is those hunts are typically very, very hot. Yes. So, I mean, you can literally get yourself in trouble if you get out there and don't have enough water and aren't prepared. Talk a little bit about your experience hunting them in the fall and some of the stories about, you know, just making sure you have enough water, making sure you're in shape, making sure, you know, you know, you can get some shade during the day and, and kind of go through that. Well, all the fall bear hunts in Arizona are non-permit tags, which means you can buy the tag over the counter at any, you know, tag dealer, whether it be Walmart or any of those places. So I think the, and most of the hunt structures have multiple hunts. Typically somewhere open, the earliest is usually like August 10th and they'll go for a week or until the female harvest objective is uh, met. So let's talk about female harvest objectives. So the way that Game and Fish manages bears is they set the number of females that they want harvested in a particular unit or group of units each year. And so they have what's called a, uh, a, a hunt female harvest objective, which is the number of bears they want harvested on that particular hunt. And then they have an annual female harvest objective, which is the total number of females they want harvested on that in those particular units for the year so why does that matter so just for example we'll take uh 3b in uh eastern arizona 3b has an, an a bear hunt that opens august 10th and it goes to august 23rd and there are two bears it's a two a two sow quota on that hunt well what happens in 3b is that a lot of guys will run dogs because in Arizona you can only run dogs from August 1st to December 31st. To hunt so bears. on the spring hunt, it's you there's no hunt. dogs on the spring hunt. Okay, and that also applies to the auction tag or the commissioner's tag. You cannot run dogs 
on the spring in the springtime at all, okay. even if you have that tag. So what happens is, is it the hunt opens on a Friday like every other hunt, and people go out and hunt, and you have to record your bear harvest by calling the uh, hunt the hunting line number, which is one eight hundred nine seven zero bear or one eight hundred nine seven zero two three two seven to report the bear that you've harvested. Well, if all of the bears, um, you have, so you have 48 hours of taking a bear to call it in and report it. And then you have 10 days to actually physically take your bear to game and fish and let them inspect it to validate proof of sex and things of that nature. Well, obviously with that time frame and that grace period, there's going to be more, you know, if it's a good year, they could kill 10 sows in that time frame. If they kill 10 sows in that time frame, well, that hunt now is closed for that particular season, but the, the annual female harvest objective for 3B is 10 sows. So even though they have a second hunt opening, it will never open because they've already met the annual female harvest objective. So in other words, in that 48-hour period, in that time frame, a bunch of sows could get killed. Mm-hmm. And people have 48 hours to report. Do you think that there's, you know, guys that are working a certain area, do you think they sometimes will hold off to the very end so their buddies can go ahead and harvest bears? Have you heard of that? I have never heard of it, but I mean, if you have 48 hours to harvest a bear and... Or to report it. Or to report it and you haven't, you know, called it in, then you're still within the legal ramifications of what they're doing. I mean, I don't think guys are doing anything illegal. It would be more or less... uh, potentially gaming the system i guess would be the way to do it and i mean i don't know that it happens like very often i've never heard of it i'm not going to say that it's never happened because it surely could happen Mm -hmm. um one thing we'll touch on real quick is that so you the bear season if two females are harvested on friday and those guys call those in the bear season ends wednesday at sundown so it's your responsibility to call that 1-800-970-BEAR number and see if the hunt's going to continue past Wednesday at sundown or if it's closed. And so where that 48-hour grace period comes into play is that potentially someone could kill that last sow on Wednesday morning and not report it until Thursday, and then you have till the next Wednesday. But I don't think the way the time frames happen and the limited number of sows that are harvested, I don't think it really happens but the reality is and something that needs to be pointed out is it's it's on the hunter to make sure they call in just because they have a bear tag it may be closed and if they get caught bear hunting they're going to get a fine it's on the hunter to make sure that it's still open correct yeah it's 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 on the hunter to make sure that it's valid and to make sure that we um that the hunt's still open and the other thing is uh, that I don't, you know, I don't know of too many people that have gotten in trouble with that. But if you're a new bow hunter, these are rules that you need to understand. You have to call in and report your bear, and you have to call in sometime on Wednesday to figure out if that hunt's going to continue open past that Wednesday night or if it's closing. Right. Because if you don't and you kill a bear, you're going to be in, you're going to have problems. Yeah. Um, one thing to talk about in Arizona, and just real quick, real quick to cover it, is that there's no baiting for bears in Arizona on state land so i know the white mountain apache has hunts up there um, with non-tribal outfitters um, 
that do a great job, kill some giant bears over baits. But on state land in Arizona, you cannot bait for bears. And when you mean state land, you mean federal, you mean state, you mean BLM, you mean anything, anything but a reservation. Tribal. Yeah, Correct. anything but a reservation. And just another thing to add to that is, is that you can only harvest one bear in Arizona. And that is on state land. So if you per lo- year, per year, right. So if you love hunting bears and you have a San Carlos bear tag and you have a white mountain Apache bear tag and you have a state land bear tag, you can kill three bears because the reservations are separate entities. So on state land in Arizona, you're allowed one black bear per year. And the only exception to that would be is if you had the auction tag, you could kill two. Right. Let's talk about, you do mention the San Carlos, you mentioned the White Mountain Apache. Um, I would assume that the um, Wallapai might have some bears. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I have would no assume idea. that the Navajo might, but the two big ones that you always hear about are the San Carlos and the White Mountain Apache as far as bear hunting. Correct. Talk a little bit about what you know from the bear hunting on both of those um, tribal reservations. Uh, we'll talk about San Carlos first, which is uh, the east part, eastern part of the state. Great bear hunting. I mean, absolutely awesome bear hunting. Uh, three or four years ago, they changed it to where non-tribal members had to hire a guide, which changed the dynamics of that hunt because prior to that, anyone could buy a tag. They were limited number of tags, but you could get a tag and go up there and hunt bears during the, during the fall where things were going. Lots of pairs, lots of lots of bears lots of bears and uh you have a great hunt but now they change it to where you have to hire a guide and on the san carlos i believe all of the guides are tribal members and so now that has created kind of a lot of times they have leftover tags before they would never have leftover tags and the tags would sell out a year in advance but now they have leftover tags and especially for the spring hunts a lot of guys would buy a bear tag just like we buy them just because we're going up there to hunt turkeys and we'd spend our time hunting turkeys. But if we saw a bear, then we would change focus. But those spring hunts, again, you know, the tag, I think the tag prices on the San Carlos are somewhere between 800 to 1,000, depending on the unit that you're hunting. And, but you have to have a guide. So if you're looking to kill a black bear up on the San Carlos or, or looking to kill one and want to have a good hunt for a reasonable price, I think you can go up to the San Carlos and reasonably have an awesome bear hunt for a pretty solid price. I, I know nothing about any of the outfitters up there, so you're going to have to do some research and figure out who you want to go with. But, I, I mean, it, they have a ton of bears. What about the White Mountain? White Mountain Apache is awesome for bears also, and they kill some really big bears on there. Same with the San Carlos, but White Mountain Apache allows you some different opportunities to hunt. You have to hunt with a guide, and they have non-tribal member guides. So... Um, a few people that I know that do it are Chris Williams at Trapper's Den, Taxidermy up in Sholo, and then, uh, Jared Nichols with Nichols Guide Service does it. And I know there's some others and, you know, I'm sure they're great. I just don't know all their names off the top of my head, but they, a lot of times will hunt bears over baits or they will run them with dogs after the bears hit the bait. Um, they can go in there and run it with the dogs and, and really target big bears. I think those hunts go somewhere around five grand. Um, but success rates super high and it's, and you're really good chance to kill a really awesome bear. And so if you look at guys go to Canada to hunt bears and they sit over a stand and, you know, between the hunt and the airfare, 
you're easily over five grand. So you can go up to the White Mountain Apaches, which depending on where you live, three, four hours from your house, have a great hunt. Cause I mean, the springtime, April, May Beautiful. on the reservation, it's awesome. Yeah. Turkeys are going nuts and you can kill. They, they, some of those guys target those big giant bears cause the way they're able to hunt them and you can really have a good experience. So, I mean, I haven't done that. Um, I've been interested in doing it. We've been fortunate to hunt turkeys up there a lot. And with our turkey hunt comes a bear tag a lot of times. And so I have killed one bear up there on our spring turkey hunt. But usually our turkey hunts are a little early for those bears to really be out and moving around. Let's talk about once you get a bear down and skinning a bear. Um, I actually shot a bear last fall in Colorado and they're greasy. Oh, man. Talk about... Basically, start from point A to point B and how what you do when you get a bear on the ground and how do you take care of it and kind of walk through that process. Well, I'm going to talk about, we kind of skipped over it. You asked me about it, about kind of being in shape for the fall bear hunts and stuff because the weather's hot. So don't underestimate the weather and don't underestimate the amount of effort that goes in to killing a bear and getting a bear out because it's your responsibility to kill a bear and get it out and not let the meat go bad and not let any of that stuff spoil. You have to do that. So if you see a bear in a place where you don't think you can get it out, it's on you not to take that shot, not to harvest that animal and waste that meat knowing that it's going to be so hot. Because a lot of times we're killing these bears and it can be 90 degrees outside. So with that being said, be prepared. You can never, ever have enough water in your pack on a fall bear hunt. It just... It, it can get hot and miserable, and once you get a bear down, there has been several phone calls made where people have been calling, basically calling, screaming broken arrow, saying, hey, bring me some water. I need some help, and I mean, we have a friend, a good friend that did that not too long ago, and it helps to have some good friends. Uh, one of my rules of thumb when it comes to hunting bears in the fall is I will not hunt bears unless I have myself plus two other able people to pack the bear out so if i have another guy that i know is in shape i might do it me and him but i did it a few years ago where it was myself and another individual who wasn't really ready for that and it it was really not that difficult of a setup but it just it taxed my my buddy to to the extreme and so if you're new to bear hunting and you've never done it my recommendation is to is don't do it unless you got three guys because with three guys you, you can mean ha- don't shoot right don't plan on shooting a bear unless you have three guys to make it happen and you and get and, it out and you might as well not even go unless you got three guys because or you got someone on speed dial because honestly you got one person carrying the hide that's typically 60 70 pounds you got one person to carry one side of the bear so front rear back straps tenderloins whatever other meat you're going to take and then the other person to carry the other stuff. And on top of that, you've got your optics, your water and all those other things. Three guys, perfect to get a bear out. It can be done with two, but you're going to pay for it. And sometimes three guys is not enough, depending on where you kill the bear. Um, big floppy hat, lots of sunscreen. Uh, sometimes a, um, thermosel can be worth its weight in gold when it comes to that. Mosquitoes. Yeah. Okay. So, and now we'll talk about when you kill a bear, get a bear down on the ground. It's a lot of work. They die in some crappy places. They're hard to get a hold of. They're hard to get a hold of uh, for moving them around. 
sometimes you just got to work on them where they where they lay and typically I mean, will you try and drag them into the shade if you can absolutely okay if you can i mean get them wherever you can get them to make it work okay um typically you're laying them on their back because most people are either doing a rug or a life size and so you're cutting them up the belly down each leg and then peeling them back that way it can be difficult if you've never done it to deal with the getting the feet and the pads off but you can cut the bear all the way to the wrist and then through that first pad and then cut it off at the joint right there and if you cut through that first pad it'll give you some more play i wouldn't deal with any other parts of the pad i'll let your taxidermist do that and when you do the neck come all the way up to the base of the neck and then just leave the hide on the neck and um, cut it through the spine on that side but you do that whole thing, lay it on one side, cut front, cut rear shoulder off, cut back straps off, and then do the other side. And um, one thing I didn't mention is when once you're done taking your pictures, doing all that good stuff, take a big stick and wedge it in your bear's mouth because they're going to want to take a premolar tooth to age your bear. And if rigor mortis sets in, they are never going to get that mouth open and when you say stick it in your mouth you don't mean like this you mean horizontally yes in other words a big enough stick that's going to keep their mouth open not one that's like going to point through the roof of their mouth no. or point through the bottom you want it like almost like they're biting on it yeah a one to two probably a two inch diameter inch and a half diameter stick and put it th you know six inches long so it's through their mouth that way you don't have to worry about it falling off when it's in your pack and uh doing any of that and the other thing is you got to make sure proof of sex has to be attached to the hide so i mean you you have to uh have that proof of sex attached to the hide so when you're doing it you know make sure that you cut around whatever parts are there so that you can show what the sex of the uh, bear is so you don't get yourself in in trouble and usually it's fairly easy to do but it's it's the only animal besides the lion that we really do that on and lions a lot of times we carry them out whole and take them to game and fish whole but you're never you're not likely to do that with a bear do you also take pictures absolutely i mean do you other than trophy photos do you take pictures to be able to show what sex it is yeah i mean i think that's important to do because if, if something happens you make a mistake you're new at least you can say look i did the best i could i'm sorry you know here's, here's the, the pictures photo. you know what right. i mean um if it's it's really not too too terribly difficult. So, I mean, you should be able to, to manage and figure it out. Most people can figure boy parts and girl parts. <laughs> yeah. But some can't. For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, the other thing is, is, you know, when you get that meat out, don't put it in a bag right away. Let it breathe because it's going to be hot. Get it in the shade. Let it breathe for a minute to cool down. If you throw it right into a plastic bag, it's really just going to cook that meat and it's going to be bad and typically it goes bad from the internal bone out so i mean it's okay to to let it uh, sit i would say if you get a bear down in a really nasty spot and it's you know going to be cooler you can get away with hanging that meat overnight if you kill that bear and you're, you're breaking him down in the dark um, just be cautious of it because it's your responsibility to do everything you can to, to preserve and save that meat make sure you get it out <clears throat> when you're breaking down a bear can you do everything that you need with a knife? Yes. I mean, I do everything with a Havilon, Havilon knife. And I mean, could you use other things? Absolutely. But for me, I do everything with Havilon. Make sure you have a lot of blades because that fat and grease will get up on those blades and kind of dull out those blades faster. But with today's knives, Havilon's Outdoor Edge makes all the replaceable surgical steel knives. 
Uh, if you have a knife you liked, make sure you have a sharpener because you're definitely going to need to sharpen it. How many blades on a Havlon-style knife do you think you would go through on a bear? How many would you feel comfortable having with you? If I had four blades, I'd be good. Four to six blades. But, I mean, I'm, I've always, they're so light. I've always got usually ten blades in there. Mm -hmm. Because every once in a while you get a blade that comes out that's not as sharp as it should be. And so, I mean, you just got to swap it out. Now let's talk about attaching. So you've, you've skinned the bear out. How do you then go about loading your packs? How, how do you do that with the hide? I mean, are you going inside the, you know, most packs these days, you can put it in the inside. Are you putting it in a game bag? Are you putting it on the outside? Are you strapping it? What are you doing? It all depends on your pack setup. But I mean, for like a hide, the hide in the head is one pack load for one person. I mean, you can, if it's a small bear, you could probably go more than that. But you put basically the back feet and the butt in first and then have the head sitting up on the top because you want your heaviest part up on top of the pack load and then meat and stuff like that usually going in a pillowcase if or a game bag um you can bone out the meat save yourself some extra weight if you don't have the uh enough people to carry it out but i mean i put it right in the pack let's jump back to something that i just thought of um to make sure that people um understand Number one, let's talk about when you're trying to sex bears um, before you shoot them. And then I also want to talk about kind of field judging bears. How do, you how do you determine if you're, you know, new at it? Even if you're not new at it, how do you determine size of bear? How big a bear you're looking at? What makes a big bear? That kind of thing. Start with the sex first. So uh, any bear in Arizona without a, any bear except for a sow with cubs is a legal bear. And a lot of times, um, guys will get super pumped when they're on their first bear hunt and they see a bear and they shoot it. And it happened to me, the very first bear I ever killed, I was like 20 years old, 18 years old and got super excited, shot this bear and I walked up to it and I, it's honestly one of the most disappointing animals I've ever walked up on in my life because it was tiny. And I, I mean, honestly, like it was the first bear I'd ever shot. I was super excited and it was just a little, I call it my bath mat bear. And it was a learning experience. But I, I mean, I was sick to my stomach when I walked up to it just because it was so small. And, you know, any animal is a trophy, you know, to each his own. I'm not telling people that you don't have to, that you shouldn't shoot that. It's, it's your decision, not mine. It's a legal animal. You do what you want. Um, but sexing bears can be very difficult of, unless they're in a tree above you where you can look up at them and see them um typically speaking i mean your big giant bears that are lumbering around lumbering along the hillside just real calculated walks just kind of rolling back and forth with each step you know belly hanging down damn near dragging the ground big old head on them i mean those are going to be your boars typically speaking you're and they're going to they're going to look like they have a little more of a compact face kind of a smashed face i guess it would look like because they have such a wide skull that it doesn't look like it's that long your sows are going to have a little bit smaller head smaller stature smaller body um they're it looks like they'll have a longer snout kind of right. um the ears will be more up on the top of their head rather than off the sides of their head so uh, that's a very difficult thing to do and i mean I think more than trying to worry about the sex, I mean, I know you want to kill a boar because it keeps the seasons open longer, and that's the goal, obviously. But if, you know, a big 300-pound sow is, is a big trophy to a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with shooting a big bear that's that may be a sow. I mean, there's been some big bears killed 
that are sows and obviously typically speaking the biggest bears you know in the record book are almost all male bears because they it's just the way that it works i mean you have to go down in our record book and get to basically entry 89 in the book to get to a female so i mean and it's just be in explain 89 so well 89 is just the 80 it's the rank in the book where that bear would fall but the way a bear is measured is you take the top the top of the skull so the bottom jaw means nothing and you measure the length of the bear from the back of the skull to the front of the skull and it actually incorporates uh the teeth unless the teeth is like coming straight out and then you take the width so the widest part is typically the cheekbones of the of the like orbital socket and you add that together so for example arizona's biggest bear is 22 and 2 sixteenths so that bear had a 13 and 15 sixteenths length measurement and it was 8 and 3 sixteenths wide so i mean it's a it's a tank of a bear i mean those are big big bears compared to some of the smaller entries so the first sow in the book is uh 10 inches in length so you're taking three inches three inch difference and seven inches in width so the width inch and three sixteenths yeah so your length is where a lot of it comes into play um and you know it's super hard to 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 really judge a big bear i mean really what i'm looking for is a big bodied bear and it may be a bear that i killed it's 350 pounds and he may only have a 19 inch skull and you may kill a bear that's old emaciated bear that has a giant skull so i mean but you can kind of get an idea of what they are by looking at them um when they're moving around it's it's when you call a bear in that you have to make a split second decision or you're just new to bear hunting i mean if you're if you've never killed a bear and you're out there on the hillside and you glass a bear up you're going to be stoked and so you're going to get excited and you're going to go shoot it and it may be a small bear it is what it is i mean (laughs) wouldn't you say as a general rule of thumb though when you're looking at them if if they look like they have a blocky head they look like their belly's hanging down i mean they if they look gigantic they probably are a pretty good mature bear yeah if the bear looks like long legs and you don't see much belly and you see kind of a uh, you know, like a long snout, almost like a dog-looking snout from the side. I mean, there's a, quite a bit of nose, right. probably a sow and probably a younger bear. Yeah, and when you, I mean, when I'm talking small bears, like the first bear I ever killed, I mean, like you 100, should, 100 if pounds. you take a second to let your nerves calm down because you finally found a bear and you look at him, it basically looks like a dog with long legs. Right. I mean, they're their legs look like they're three feet long and they have this little torso section i mean you should if you take a couple seconds to really look at it you should know that it's a small bear now you have to make a determination whether you're going to kill it or not that's up to you um but yes i mean it happened to me though is my point and it can happen to anybody you get excited you get tunnel vision and you're like holy smokes i finally found a bear you know and you know you end up shooting a bear and you walk up to it and you're like wow yeah what did i just do yeah you mentioned um sow with cubs Mm -hmm. is not okay to shoot correct my question is from a monitoring standpoint or when you first spot a bear to be a steward of the resource and to be legal um 
do you sit there and try and study that bear a little bit look at it make sure that there's not cubs around you know have a little time where you're saying i'm trying to establish if this bear has cubs yeah because I mean, they could be wandering off or what have you yes i mean typically speaking uh, the bears the sows with cubs that i've seen it's usually pretty quick you make you're going to glass up the big bear first and you'll be watching him for a few minutes and then boom you'll see a cub move out you know next to him or from you know a bush to the right of them or something like that so you do need to give it some time a minute or two to kind of look around i haven't never had an issue say figuring it out one way or the other and generally speaking on those fall hunts if you see more than one bear it's a sow with cubs i mean it's not you know on those early uh the spring hunts when the bears are breeding and stuff like that you're going to have the boars and the sows together but typically speaking if you see a bear, you know, more than one bear on a fall hunt, it's probably going to be a sow with cubs. Right. Even if the cubs are pretty big. You could get some cubs that could look pretty big. I mean, remember, yeah. those cubs at some point break away from the mom and go off and do their thing. And, I mean, they're, they're mature enough, but they're small. Talk about uh, bears feeding on dead stuff, you know, such as elk, you know, moo cows, uh, you know, maybe wild horses, things that you know, they come across and either kill or they find dead, um, legal, not legal. How, you know, what's your opinion, what's your interpretation of how the laws work on, you know, if you were to just find a random dead elk and you see bear tracks all around, can you sit that? I mean, that's a great question and I don't want to give anybody the wrong information. Um, for a long time, you know, it's not an attractant that you pl- particularly placed out there and let me see i'll pull up the the baiting rule here in a second and we'll go over it and talk about that um i have so on the san carlos it was really common to kill bears eating dead cows i mean really common yeah uh if you had a dead cow on the san carlos especially in those august months which was pretty prevalent on the san carlos you would shoot bears off the off those cows all the time um on state land, doesn't happen as much. I did, I had a 21 uh, elk tag a few years back in 2015, and I was walking out to a glassing point and bumped a bear off a coos, coos deer buck that he had killed. You know, and uh, it does happen. Um, up on the White Mountain Apache, occasionally you'll get bears that'll be eaten on a, a wild horse that has either died or they've killed. I think most of the time they're just wild horses that have died. But those are things. Um, to kind of look look around i mean a lot of the there's usually a bear hunt in arizona and that fall hunt that opens october the first friday in october so it's october it was october 4th this year and when those bear hunts open that that's usually right at the tail end of the early rifle bull hunt so it's not uncommon to find a bear feeding either on a an elk that may have been wounded and lost or on an elk carcass from a a elk that was killed and they took all the stuff off of them and uh left but i'm trying to find right now the exact verbiage for hunting over uh a carcass and what's defined as bait i mean it's a topic of conversation it's very much in the regs um i just don't want to give you wrong information and i don't feel comfortable just I'll read you what it says here once I find it, and then we'll go from there. So Brian was able to find it on the Arizona Game and Fish website. Uh, we're going to kind of give a little disclaimer to 
take this for what it's worth read it for yourself maybe check with the wildlife manager in the unit you're going to hunt just to make sure you're on the right page but what'd you find brian so it's r12-4-303 and it's unlawful devices methods and ammunition it says an individual shall not use edible or ingestible substances to aid in taking big game the use of edible or ingestible substances to aid in taking big game is unlawful when an individual places edible or ingestible substance for the purpose of attracting or taking big game or an individual knowingly takes big game with the aid of edible or ingestible substances placed for the purpose of attracting wildlife to a specific location um, for the purpose of this subsection edible or ingestible substances do not include any of the following water salt salt-based materials produced and manufactured for the livestock industry nutritional supplements produced and manufactured for livestock industry in place during the course of livestock or agricultural operations so based on the way i'm reading this um an animal carcass would not uh fall under the baiting statute but as i long mean as you didn't put it there as long as you didn't put it there or your buddy didn't put it there right you just come across something and it's fair and square it sounds like the way that rule reads to me is that you can sit there and watch and see if a bear comes that's the way i interpret that's it. the way i interpret that particular rule so i mean you can't take a carcass you know you can't take a dead cow carcass if you own a dairy farm or you're a cattle rancher and place it in a plate because you know you location. have a tag coming out right you right. can't do stuff like that so but i encourage you to reach out to game of fish talk to the talk to them get their disclaimer see what they have to say but that's what the statute says um and the key things about the statute for me it talks about um that an individual no that an individual places edible or ingestible substances for the purpose of attracting taking big game so i mean you're not placing anything for that particular reason and uh you didn't have any part in it so right but it's always good to touch base yeah brian i want to conclude you've been awesome here i want to conclude with you kind of telling the story of your favorite bear hunt whether it be you know biggest bear whatever you know coolest situation uh your favorite bear hunt that you have been on uh whether it be archery rifle whatever it may be uh my favorite bear hunt by far is my archery bear that i shot in 35a I had an I have an uncle that lived that lived in Tucson at the time. He had killed several bears down there, and he kind of gave me a couple of different canyons to check out. So I decided I would go down there for a long weekend and just kind of get the lay of the land, and then I was going to go back and hunt for basically two weeks to see if I could kill a bear. And so I drove down there, set up my camp, and uh, had a buddy with me, and we went exactly to where my uncle told me to start. And there's a hiking trail there so i parked at the hiking trail and as i um as i walked up the trail or walked up to the hiking trail there was another truck there with um it was a, two adults and two uh two boys that were with them and they were talking about that they were just going to go up hiking and we talked for a minute and i told them that you know we were bear looking for bears and they were kind of surprised to see think that there was any bears in the area and stuff like that so we went up the trail ahead of them Walked up the trail maybe for 10 minutes, and I looked up, and here's a red bear walking down the trail right at me, like 100 yards. And I was like, so, I mean, I got ready. I got locked in on that bear and started moving up the trail. It was pretty quiet walking on the trail, so I was just moving up the trail as this bear is kind of moving toward me. And I get into about 35 yards, and I'm getting ready to shoot this bear. And I hear something to my left, and I look to my left, and there's a bigger red bear. And he's standing up 
with a tree branch against his back, breaking the tree limbs over his um, shoulder. And I'd never seen that except for watching hunting shows. Uh, Jim Shockey's videotaped some of that stuff, and I was like, holy smokes. And so the bear breaks this branch and drops down to all fours, and I shoot him at 25 yards. I hit him a little back. I load another arrow, and I shoot him again, and he runs 10 yards and falls over dead. And I look at my buddy, and I'm like, did this really just happen? I mean, we've literally been hunting for 30 minutes. And before we even walk up to the bear, I hear the hikers coming up behind us. And, and you know, I stopped them and told them what had happened. And they were like, they were amazed. Thankfully, they were okay with the hunting aspect of things. And literally, we walked up to this bear. And I just killed a giant 14-year-old bear that ended up going 19 and 13 16 which is a really good Arizona bear. And just a really pretty red color phase bear. And, I mean, I, it was just one of those hunts that was just meant to be. There's nothing that I could do to make it any better. And so that's probably one of my favorite bear hunts um, that I can ever remember. And I've got that bear life-sized in my house. You know, just a really awesome bear. That's awesome, man. That's a cool story. I remember when you shot it. I remember you – I think you texted me and said, I got one. Yeah. Um, pretty neat awesome story uh buddy it's always great to have you on the podcast uh want to give you a chance to let people know how they can reach out if they want to to you or they can follow more of what uh what you got going on yeah if you if anyone has any questions whether it be um about bear hunting about any hunting about the record book uh, about the upcoming draw i'm sure we'll do another podcast about the sheep draw and things of that nature you can get a hold of me. Uh, my email address is brian.rimza at hotmail.com. You can also reach out to Jay uh, if for some reason you have trouble getting a hold of me, and he'll put you in contact with me. But uh, always out there to help. Uh, if you have any questions, let me know. Be glad to uh, answer those questions. Yeah, and um, before we go here, just um, you're one of the – you don't maybe do it as much as you used to, but competitive archers uh, used to be a huge part of your life. Uh, you've moved your way up in the, in, you know, public service here in our city uh, as a police officer. Um, so maybe you don't have as much time as you used to, but, uh, what equipment are you shooting right now for your bow setup and how has it maybe changed or how has it remained the same over the years? Uh, I'm shooting a Bowtech Realm right now, which is a new bow to me. Um, really like the way it feels, really like the way it shoots. It's kind of getting acclimated to that particular bow um i still shoot gold tip arrows i have for ye probably 15 20 years now i mean they're just a solid arrow tim gillingham's an amazing guy uh, i shoot custom bow hunting equipment as far as their sights go uh, they make a really awesome movable sight that i uh, have had great success with scott releases uh, always been real good and then um i think the other thing that's him i shoot grave digger broadheads They've been real good to me. And uh, the other thing that's, I think, definitely helped my success as a bow hunter is uh, Daniel Willett over at the Arizona Archie Club always works on my bows and helps me out when I get in a pickle because uh, Daniel's an expert when it comes to that stuff. So I encourage you, if you need any help on uh, a bow setup or you're struggling with something, go see Daniel. He'll get you squared away uh, if you're in the North Valley for sure. If you're in the South Valley, you got a couple other shops. Archery headquarters is real good. Uh, Bear Mountain's on the East Valley. I'm sorry, Bear Mountains in the East Valley as well as uh, Timber Mesa. And then you've got Ross Outdoors in Central Phoenix. And uh, Josiah over at Ross is an incredible contributor to uh, the bow hunting organizations in Arizona. And, I mean, he just does a real good job. And then Archery Headquarters down in Southern uh, Phoenix. 
uh, Randy Phillips over there has been around forever. I mean, I've been going down there since I was a little boy. Uh, if it was, so uh, go see those guys; they'll get you squared away. Um, it's super important to have someone that really knows bows. And if things go sideways, it's all great when things are shooting good. But when things go sideways, it's super important to have someone that can really work on those. Yeah, don't wait till last minute. Um, you know, all of you guys have found out what elk tags you have drawn and things like that. Don't wait till last minute to go get your stuff squared away and get it fixed. These bow shops get hammered when the draw comes out, and then they get hammered two weeks before the hunt start because everyone's waited a last minute trying to get things fixed, and then people get upset when they can't get a bowstring in two weeks. Uh, things take time, so don't put that extra stress on yourself. I always encourage everyone to alleviate all the variables that you can because hunting has tons of variables that you cannot control. So a good bow mechanic and a well-tuned bow uh, makes your life a lot easier. Buddy, always great having you on. Thanks. All right, thanks. God bless.